0: Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Really good to see you guys here tonight. I've actually missed the last couple weeks of being here um, in this community, so I have uh, am really excited to see you guys' faces and, um, and be with your, you guys here tonight. Um, hey, really quick before I jump into this, I want to invite you guys to uh, join us after the service for um, community dinner that we have as we uh, just... Uh, have a meal together and be with each other and um, have some some community with each other. Also, after that, Boomer is going to come up and be here to share with us if you want to stay and stick around for this. He's going to share with us uh, five ingredients, I believe, to um, helping your kids uh, maintain and and keep their faith when they leave their home. So if that uh, might um, entice you, that sounds um, delicious. Okay, so... (laughs) Um, so, uh, Hey, I'm just going to jump right in and to, to kind of get into my message. I want to ask this one, uh, simple question, uh, for you guys tonight. I want to ask, uh, that's a good song. Um, I want to ask this, that, uh, what, what is good? What is good? We just sang a song about a good, good father. And I want to ask this question tonight. What? is good. How do we define good? How do we determine what is good and what is not good? And is what's good for me, is that also good for you? Is what is good for you, is that good for me also? How do we determine and define what is good? As a, as a dad, um, I get to the privilege and the honor to um, give good gifts to my kids, Right? Um, and as a dad i don 't like want to brag or anything, but I feel like uh, but i 'm gonna because I feel like I know how to give really good gifts to my kids right and I love giving good gifts to my kids um, in fact, my son um, You know, if I were to ask him what a good gift was, you know, around like Halloween time or around like Christmas or Easter time, when you get these, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of candy from everyone, and everyone thinks it's a really good idea to just keep giving you candy, right? A good gift for him would be to just set all that candy right in front of him and have him eat it in one setting, right? Just ah, give me all the candy right now, now, you know, and, you know, that uh, would be good for him, but no, in his eyes, it would be good. But I know, as his dad, that that would not be good, right? That is not good at all, right? And I know that. But here's what I also know. I know what is good for him. In fact, I know how to give a really good gift for him that he doesn't even know, right? And uh, I'll give a, a gift to him that he hasn't even asked for, but he's always wanted, okay? I'll give him a gift that uh, he will have never seen before in his life and he'll open it up and he'll, and he'll look at it. Oh my gosh, I've always wanted this before. Right? And it's good. And I know that it's good because I'm his dad and I know him and I know what's good for him as his dad. And how much more does God love giving good gifts to us? In fact, in in Matthew seven, Jesus talks about this, To his followers, to his disciples, he says, hey, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask for him? God is a good, good giver. Watchman Nee, the author of a a really good book called Sit, Walk, Stand, um, said it this way, God is so wealthy that his chief delight is to give. His treasure stores are so full that it is painful to him, painful to him when he, when we refuse him an opportunity to give. Let me say that again. His treasure stores are so full that it is painful to him when we refuse him an opportunity to give. He loves to give good gifts to his children. He is a good, good giver. Tonight, we're jumping back into a series called, um, the character of God and the propensity of man. And tonight we're going to look at the character of God that he is good. Not that he's just a a God who gives good things. Not that he's just a God who does good things. But he intrinsically by his very nature is good. Like he is the definition of what is good for us. And we're created to trust this. We were created by him to trust in the goodness of God and his definition of good for us, but the propensity of man, the tendency, the tendency of man is to not trust that. It's to distrust the goodness of God and begin defining good for ourselves, to begin defining what is good and what is not good in our own minds and in our own hearts. And believing this lie. That somehow God is holding out on us. Believing the lie that God is somehow holding out on us. We begin to build our own definition of what is good. We begin to build our own kingdoms. When God has placed us in a good kingdom. We see this um, as we jump into the the life of Solomon. Solomon. And I know that um, Evan just got done talking about um, some kings, King Saul and King David. Um, and so we're going to follow suit and, and look at King Solomon. Um, at 1 Kings, uh, we're going to be jumping into 1 Kings 3. And I'm just going to pray to uh, get us into this. Um, Lord God, um, I just pray that you would, um, your spirit would work inside of us tonight. That you would show us your goodness. That you would show us... Um, the things that you want to give us, God, tonight and tomorrow, and that we would trust you. God, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at, at Solomon, we want to jump in here. We're jumping into First Kings chapter 3. If you have our Bibles or have a Bible app, you can open up to this First uh, Kings chapter 3. We see that um, King David has now passed the baton Of kingship onto his son Solomon. Solomon is anointed king of Israel, king of God's nation, multitudes of numerous, more numerous than the sands of the sea now, and he is at the ripe old age of 20 years old. Okay, can you imagine inheriting and being anointed king of a huge, gigantic nation, and not only that, but God's nation at the age of 20? This is Solomon, okay? And Solomon uh, has the, the privilege of jumping into a kingdom which David has now finally established. King David um, has established it and made it strong and brought unity to the kingdom, okay? After many, many years of battles and civil war, they have, he has brought uh, unity and strength and established the kingdom. And now Solomon is living into God's covenant to David. God's covenant to David, which was by the son of David, the house of the Lord will be built and the Lord will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon's living in to this covenant, right? And so we pick up here on first Kings chapter three and, uh, and I'm going to start reading it for you guys. Um, and I got it on the screen, but, uh, you, you can follow along with me. We're going to start reading at chapter, uh, verse one of chapter three. Um, It says this, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now you might be thinking that seems a little weird and it is because chronologically, this actually isn't in order. This isn't in place chronologically, but the author The author of this book is kind of giving us a wink, okay? And he's saying, Remember this. He's saying, This is important. So I'm gonna throw it out there, and then we're gonna jump in, okay? So here's what I want us to do with this, this little passage right here. I want us to take it and I want to just put it in our pocket, okay? We're gonna put it in our pocket, we're gonna save it for later, we're gonna bring it bring it back out later, okay? So we look at we keep reading. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built in the name of the lord remember david uh, god had made that covenant to david that by your son the house of the lord will be built so no house had been built yet um, they were sacrificing at these high places which were uh, basically just pre-temple sacrifices to the lord uh, at pagan temples and they were in high places like literally on high hills because the pagans believed the closer you were to the heavens then the the more likely your prayers will reach to the gods, right? So they were just using these pagan temples to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, okay? So it continues to say this, chapter 3, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. All right, so we're, we're off to a, a good start, right? He's loving the Lord. He's following in the statutes of David, his father, who was a man after God's own heart. He began his rule of the kingdom with a love for the Lord. And we keep reading. Um, Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon used, used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give to you. God now offers Solomon an incredible gift, an incredible gift of, hey, ask whatever you wish, right? It's like the genie in the bottle, right? Ask whatever you wish. You just can't ask for more wishes, right? Uh, Ask whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. So Solomon said this, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and, gave, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. Now, David is acknowledging, one, his dependence on God as his servant, Right? And two, his inexperience as a little child, right? 20 years old, jumping into the kingdom, right? I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered and counted for multitude. And now we jump into Solomon's ask. What does Solomon ask for? He gets anything he wants, right? He says this, give your servant therefore an understanding mind. To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. So it pleases the Lord that Solomon asked for this uh, this understanding mind and this discernment between good and evil. Why was this so pleasing? to God. Why was this so pleasing to the Lord his request, right? It is because of this good and evil is at the heart of mankind's downfall. Good and evil is at the the core of mankind's wickedness and depravity. All the issues that we see today, war and murder and injustice is all due to this idea of what is good and what is evil and who decides. In order to see this, uh, we kind of have to take a a macro approach. I'm going to take us in a helicopter up way up high to look at a bird's eye view of the biblical narrative. We have to go all the way back to page one of the Bible, okay? We're going back to Genesis one where God is the creator and sustainer of all things good. He takes order and creates, or he takes chaos and creates order. And he calls it what? Good. Then he places us, created in his image, and created into a place with a purpose, right? And he creates us in his image with a purpose, and he calls it very good. Very good. Now I'm going to pause right here really quick. This might be a side tangent. I don't know. But I'm going to pause because I think it's important enough to pause. Do you believe that you, were, you are a good creation? Created by God in his image to do good things for him and with him. The way you answer that question will determine the way you live every day of your life. Do you believe that you are a good creation, created by a good creator, God? Mm. Yes, you are. Absolutely. We were created good. And God places us in this good relationship, this partnership with him. And he asks us to trust, simply to just to trust in his goodness, that he is the creator of all things good. And he asks us not to take that from us, not to take from what he calls the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and to start defining what is good for ourselves. But it only takes us to page three of the Bible, where man rebels against God Right? We are confronted with this lie that God is somehow holding out on us. Somehow he is holding good from us. And maybe he is not all good. And we partake in this desire to be like God. Knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. That is the temptation. To be like God And no good and evil to define what is good and what is not good for ourselves. And as we begin to define what is good for ourselves, we see this leads to death. We see it leads to death relationally as we all of a sudden see shame and nakedness. We see death spiritually as we begin to hide from God. And now there's a disconnect between us and our creator. Okay? We see death physically, not immediately, but our bodies now are on a trajectory towards death. Whose body right now is on a trajectory toward death? (laughs) I mean, I'm not that old, but like, I feel like I can get hurt sleeping now. You know? (laughs) It's like, I mean, I don't know, but it's just not good, right? Okay, who's with me on that? Okay, so we see death. We see this leading to murder and hatred. And we first see that in Cain and Abel, as Cain finds hatred for his brother and doesn't trust in the goodness of God and what he's decided. And he hates and he murders and we see it continue. And then we see it culminate in this, uh, in the days of Noah with a, a lust, with a twisting of our sexual desires and our passions that leads us to this verse in Genesis 6, 5, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We have gone from knowing nothing but good who is God to every intention of our heart is evil. How did we get there by defining what is good for ourselves? And then we find ourselves at the tower of Babel where pride and the belief that we do not need God take over and it says this, that the, they began to say to themselves, mankind says to themselves, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower on top of this, the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Man begins to build their own kingdom based on their own definition of what is good. And then we see a new kingdom rise up in Exodus 1. A new kingdom whose wickedness and evil has yet to be seen in the history of mankind. Are you following with me? We're going through. Are you following with me? Okay. Wickedness that has never been seen. The kingdom of Egypt and the king whose name is Pharaoh. And under this king, Pharaoh, we see the first ever enactment of slavery, of forced labor of oppression that's never been seen before and a genocide of all the firstborn or all the sons of the Hebrew nation. We see this kingdom rise up to the point where uh, God intervenes and through Moses and Aaron goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, so caught up in his own definition of what is good, he doesn't even know the Lord. He says this in Exodus 5 too, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? If that is not the utmost extent of evil and turning away from God who is good. Pharaoh had turned a definition of evil and called it good. And then God rescues his people into the wilderness and then into the promised land. And we see continually, even in both those places, that we continually screw it up by defining what is good for us, by not trusting who God is and in his goodness, right? See him rescue it. And then we go into the judges. And Evan, a few weeks ago, laid out what that looked like, the wickedness of that and the injustice, and as we looked at the rebellion of the Israel nation, at the, uh, the rebellion, the judgment, and the salvation of God through that, and then we find ourselves in the kings of Israel, Saul, who did not trust the Lord, bad things happened, David, who trusted the Lord, and good things happened, and now we're here with Solomon. Are you with me? So Solomon asks for this good gift, an understanding mind to discern between good and evil. Why was this such a good gift? Because in light of the history of mankind up to this point, that was the major problem. In light of this, this this request was incredible and pleased the Lord. And so God gave it to him. He gives it to him, and then he gives him so much more. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 3. He says, God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself an understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to what your word is. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that people like, so that none like you has ever been before you. And none likely like you shall arise after. Then he goes on to say, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. God is such a gracious and great giver, he just lavishes it on. He's like, I'm gonna give you what you ask for, but not only that, I'm gonna give you more. God can give us more than we can ever ask or imagine. And God is a gracious giver. God also tells Solomon how to enjoy this gift. He gives him a gift, but he tells him, how do you enjoy this gift? Okay? I, I gave my son, this last for, for his birthday, I gave him a, a bike, right? And I'm going I'm to teach him how to enjoy that gift, right? I'm going to guide him. I'm going to coax him. I'm going to hold him on it. I'm going to teach him the tricks, of the trade to riding your bike without falling on your face, right? I'm gonna teach him. God teaches Solomon as he says this, and he coaxes him through it all through his life. We're gonna see him saying, right after he gives this gift, he says, and if you will walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days you will enjoy this. Again, he says, concerning this house that you're building, the house of the Lord. If you will walk in my ways, statutes, and obey my rules, and keep all my commands, and walk in them, then I will establish my, establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people. He continues to guide him, and coax him, and train him, and teach him, how do you enjoy This gift. God is a gracious giver. Again, one last time in chapter nine, I'm going fast through this, but it's all up there. You can follow along with me as for you, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David, your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying this, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is how you enjoy my gift. If you do these things, you will enjoy them. But let's, although God gives this good gift, he also gives the freedom just like he gives all of us to choose how we're going to use it. He gives this gift, but gives us the freedom to choose how we're going to use it. And now let's look at the acts of Solomon. Let's look at how Solomon uses God's gifts to build a kingdom. But take note, this kingdom does not look like what you would think for a man who has such godly wisdom take notice of a key theme as I walk through this. Chapter 4, verse 30, Solomon's wisdom surpasses the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Chapter 5, verse 13, Solomon uses his wisdom to uh, make a treaty with a guy named Hiram. He's the king of Tyre. And through this treaty to build um, his kingdom, in which he drafts forced labor out of all of Israel. And the draft number was 30,000 men. Pop quiz, everybody. Where was the first enactment of forced labor? In Egypt. Chapter 9, verse 15. Solomon again drafts forced labor, this one up to 100,000 men. Forced labor to build the house of the Lord. And then the author just slides these things in here that it took Solomon seven years to build the house of the Lord. And even at that, it was a non-functioning house of the Lord because inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies was not yet furnished and ready for sacrifice. A non-functioning temple in seven years and it took him 13 years to build his own home, his own palace, his own kingdom. Take note of that. The next verse, 916. Solomon receives a gift from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, a city as a dowry, a wedding gift for who? His daughter. Now let's just take that verse that we have tucked in our pocket and pull it out now. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Solomon is now married into the family of Pharaoh. And then we come to chapter 11. One of the, the saddest chapters and pieces of scripture that I've, I've meditated on in a long time. And it says this. Keep in mind where Solomon started and how he started and who he loved. And now it says King Solomon Loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. And Solomon clung to these things. I'm going to stop right there, really quick and ask you this, based on what we've just seen. Seth, can you go back to the last slide real quick? Based on what we've just seen, and that passage I just read, which kingdom does Solomon represent more? The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of Egypt? See, just to crystallize it a little, if you're still fuzzy, and unclear, I'm just going to read this out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, where the Lord tells his people what a king should look like. He says, when you come into the land that the Lord God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations around me, you indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Not only are they in Egypt, but actually they're uh, receiving horses and gifts like that from Egypt. You um, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay, let's put this in perspective. Lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver Or gold. It says in in chapter 10 that um, Solomon would receive 666 talents of gold per year, just off of the gold. I did the math a little bit, and that's approximately $850 million in gold today a year, just off the gold. That's not including his other uh, income sources. He actually built, uh, made 500 shields made of gold itself. And he had an ivory throne. Okay, I think we can say without a doubt that uh, Solomon has acquired for himself excessive silver and gold and done these things. So which kingdom is he more representing? See, Solomon uses his gifts, the gifts that God has given us, to build his own kingdom, and to do evil. And here's the irony. Here's where I want to jump in at. Here's the irony. The kingdoms which he built become, uh, they, they tend to look like the very kingdoms which enslaved them over 500 years ago. The kingdoms that he, the kingdom that he built looked almost identical to the kingdom which once enslaved him over 500 years prior. I'm going to jump into some application and response. Really just a response. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to what we're looking at and what God is trying to show us? And with this, I want to ask us two questions. Two questions. One, how many of us take the gifts that God has given us every single day and use them to build our own kingdoms to define what is good for ourselves how many of us take the gifts of God like the breath in our lung that is in our lungs that is the gift of God the new day that we have every time we wake up that is a gift of god the job that we have the income that we have the talents the abilities that god has built in us that he has given us how many of us take those gifts and use it for ourselves to find good for ourselves and build our own kingdoms rather than building god's kingdom how many of us take the gift of himself the gift of God himself through his son, Jesus. The gospel, the good news, God with us. He has given us himself through his son as a gift. How many of us have taken this gift and either just rejected it and denied it or taken it and used it for ourselves? Or how about the gift of the cross, Of His forgiveness. That we take it and we just say, Yeah, I'm forgiven. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. We take His gift and we use it for our own glory. How many of us have taken the gift of His Holy Spirit or not taken the gift of His Holy Spirit? Have you received that? Do you know that? Do you know the gift that God wants to lavish on you? Are you using the gifts of God to build your own kingdoms or God's kingdom? Because it is our tendency to use God's gifts to, and, and the God who is a giver to build our own kingdoms. And you guys, none of us are immune to it. If a man who had all the wisdom in the world had the same tendencies and needed a savior, how much more do we need a savior? How much more do we need to look to God, the giver, to give us good things and to trust that he is good? The second question is this, do you trust that God is good? And this may be even a hard one for most of us. Some of us say, yep, God is good. Yes. But some of us are struggling with that. Some of us are struggling. Our God, are you good? Do you believe that God is good or do you believe that God is still holding out on you? Somehow, in some way. When we believe that God is holding out on us, we begin to build our own kingdoms. And This is my point. When we believe that God is holding out on us, we begin to build our own kingdoms which begin to look like the very kingdoms which once enslaved us. What has enslaved you? What is enslaving you? It is the very thing that God has and wants to free you from. As the worship team, I'll call them up. And as we enter into worship, I want us to just ponder on these, these questions. What are the gifts that God wants to give me, that God has given me, and how am I using them? And do I even trust that God is good and has good things for me? After service, um, we're going to have communion. Not traditionally. As you can see, there's no bread, no wine. But we're going to commune together over dinner, over breaking bread together, and being in community together over a meal. And as we do this, I want us to remember the gift that God gave all of us through and in His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I want us to remember the goodness that we have in Him. Through Jesus, He showed us His goodness. Through Jesus, He showed us His glory, and through Jesus, He showed us His reconciliation between us. And so, um, I'm going to pray, and, and as you guys uh, as you guys talk, maybe just just ask that question, talk with each other, ask God, what is God? Where have you seen God's good gifts this last week, this last month? This last year. How have you seen that? Lord God, you are good. I pray that um, in those times where we struggle to see that, in those times where we do not trust that, that you would uh, continue to, to coax us along and to show us again and again how good you are and that we would follow you, that we would obey you, that we would listen to you, and that our hearts would be um, undivided towards you, and that it would not be turned away from you. God, thank you for being so gracious and giving. Thank you.